Hello, and welcome back to the Let's Go Joe podcast. Today I have a, a very special guest, a great personality, a great mind. I have uh, Brother Shane West, and I want you to uh, introduce yourself, and then I'll get into why uh, I felt the need that I had to talk to you. Right, what's going on, guys? Man, First of all, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Shane West. I'm from Wilbur Section, New Jersey. For those who are not that familiar with Wilbur Section or New Jersey, it's a small neighborhood in the capital city of Trenton. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a personal fitness trainer. I'm an educator. And those are just titles, right? A lot of titles that other people bestowed on me. But the title that, uh, like, that identified me the most that I think is I'm just a spirit of God, man. You know, uh, I'm purpose. I'm passion, right? I'm, I'm energy, right? So to be honest with you, I don't know if you can actually identify who I am. Unless you know God. There is put perfectly. So the reason why uh, I had to talk to you and I had to take the time to drive out here and sit down with you was definitely because so we met uh, on some like gym equipment type time. And like I was telling Silk, like sitting around you for five minutes, like tattoos. Like so I have a lot of tattoos. So they don't really I don't see tattoos and see anything except art. Right. Yes. And I'm sure you. Probably same way. the same way. Same way. So, but when I'm just listening to you and then, and then looking at you, I had to ask you, like, your story. And just to see how positive you were on life based off of what you told me, I was like, yeah, we got to sit down and talk. <laughs> because I just felt like people needed to hear uh, your story. Because more people, I believe, can relate to with who you were, who you became. I think at the core, you probably the same person. But who you were mindset-wise at one point when it came to success in comparison to now, like being that same person and being comfortable in your skin, yes. but just displaying it differently was powerful. So uh, saying that first, I want to definitely uh, – I just wanted to say that definitely because, uh, again, I, I think your story is powerful. But saying that, uh, tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me a little bit about – uh, the first thing you said to me when I met you. Well, well to, to, to kind of elaborate on that, um, I, I oftentimes tell people it's like a lion. People go visit the safari, right? They're so amazed, uh, so enamored with the lion is doing out there, right? If they go to an aquarium, they're so enamored, so amazed with the, what the shark is doing out there. But the shark and the lion, just being a shark and a lion, right? The shark not saying, hey, look at me, I'm doing shark stuff. Like, the lion's not over there like, hey, look at me. I'm over here being a lion. They're just in their natural habitat doing what they do. And for, for many years, that's, that's what I did. I just was, was doing me. I wasn't seeking anybody's approval, anybody's recognition. I just was just doing me. But when you have so many people come up to you and telling you that your actions, that your mindset, your words, uh, you know, what you represent inspires and motivates you, after a while, you got to take a step back and say, you know what, maybe I got something here. Right? So every opportunity I get, I'm going to share my story. I tell people all the time, just give me a set of ears. right? Because that set of ears got a set of lips. right? And they're going to tell somebody. And I never know how that's going to impact somebody. You know, the first time I told my story, uh, I was incarcerated. And um, the way it impacted uh, St. Francis University, because that's the first group of people that I, I elaborate and I opened up and I didn't hold nothing back. And it was powerful, not just for them, more importantly for me. It was therapeutic. Uh, so to kind of go into my story, uh, like I said, I'm from Trent, New Jersey. 
impoverished urban community. Um, you know, I like to think that my neighborhood is special. Um, we take pride in being tough, right? We take pride in standing up for one another, right? But like most urban communities, it's, it's impoverished. It's filled with this hopelessness, disparity. And as a youth, I wanted to be one of the ones, if not the one, to kind of change the narrative, right? To change the tone, to change the vibe. I said, man, I'm going to change this, bro. I'm going I'm to make my neighborhood something special by me being special, right? And, and, then, and as uh, growing up in an urban community, oftentimes sports is like one of the first outlets. And I, my neighborhood, the neighborhood courts, the neighborhood park was my backyard. I could literally walk out my backyard and be on the basketball court. Right, and growing up in the 80s and 90s, basketball was like the holy grail in uh, the city of Trenton and in New Jersey. Right, it kind of defined you. Right, it told you, told people who you were. Right, it gave you recognition. Right, now I mean, it, it it allowed you to stand out, and I wanted that. Right, because I came from a a, a very dynamic uh, household. My household, like like many, is filled with dysfunction. See, my mother and my father they was married, but they wasn't married to each other. See, my father. <laughs> Uh, he cheated on his wife, and my mother, she cheated on her husband. And the fact that my mother cheated on her husband, even though they were separated in the same household, uh, it, it just was a, a weird dynamic to me. I don't know the age uh, where I realized that something wasn't right, but I knew something wasn't right. But I never, ever did I say, God, why me? Right? It was just like, all right, God, you got me in this situation. Watch what I do with it. Right? So it drove me. So question, uh, you know, let me just get straight to it. Why street life over basketball? Or did you do them together? And this one, one just outshined the other. I mean, well, you know, for, for one, I'm an extremist. You know, anything that I do, I'm gonna always do it to the fullest, or just don't do it at all, right? It's a gift and a curse. So when I first started playing ball, I wasn't that great, but I wanted to be great, right? Eventually, you know, uh, I got to a point where I became one of the highest-ranked basketball players in the country. I was a number nine point guard going into my spring signing period. But what people don't know, I was selling drugs. I didn't even realize I was selling drugs. You say, how, how the hell you don't know you were selling drugs? Well, <laughs> my sister came to me with an opportunity. See, I've always been a hustler, right? She came at me with an opportunity, and she said, yo, I got this weed. I don't know that it, it, her friend stole it from her boyfriend, or he went to jail and they gave it to him, but they had it. And he was like, yo, can you get rid of it? And me, you know, most of my friends had already been selling drugs. So like I said, I'm a hustler. I seen an opportunity to make money. Right? I used to pray for snow. Right, I mean, yeah, I pray for snow. I could make $1,000 in a snowstorm at 10 years old, right? I, had, I, I sold candy, right? And I was the number one paper boy in my, in my neighborhood. So I seen money, right? So I would take the weed. I would give the weed to, uh, to my cousin and, a, and another friend of mine. They would sell it at their high school, and I was going to school up in North Jersey. I would come home on the weekend, collect the money, break my sister and her friend off, keep my half. You know, I, I did that for a few months, and before you know it, I accumulated a few thousand dollars. And to a 17-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid from Trent, New Jersey, grew up poor, two, three thousand dollars was a lot of money. A whole lot of money, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but here I am, I'm still a Division One recruit, and I'm selling money. But you know, at that time, uh, you know, I'm playing AAU basketball. I'm traveling the country with some of the, the best basketball players in the world, um, and I thought I was much better than I was. You know, I knew I wasn't no LeBron James or nothing like that, right? But I'm like, you know, I'm at least. Big East, the bottom of the Big East. Yes. Right? I'm not Georgetown, but I'm Senior Hall. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? But Senior Hall wasn't coming. See, I was getting recruited by schools like Colgate, Bucknell, Manhattan, LaSalle, East Carolina. 
and some of these schools I never even heard of. So I'm like, man, in my mindset, because I ain't had much guidance, I'm like, yo, if I can't go to a bigger D1 school, I can't go to the league. Right now, I mean, so I like money. Right now, I mean, I knew that going to the league was going to be able to help my community, help my family. But then when I made that quick, that quick fix, and I mean, I got that quick money, uh, that was my first taste. What age were you around that time? So, so like, what, and the reason I'm asking you what age was you, what age or when did it click that this was more profitable or this was even more exciting than uh, basketball? Okay, Cause well. Because to me, to play basketball, you got to love it. So, what happened was, um, once I realized that the big schools wasn't coming, um, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do another year in high school, I'm a post-grad, or I'm going to go JUCO. And we got a guy who was like my mentor, like, like my hero. His name is Greg Grant. Uh, he's the, at that time, he was in the NBA. He was the second shortest player to ever play at 5'7". At he was the first player ever to drafted out of the Division three school. Right? He's from my neighborhood. Right? So I looked up to this guy, and he called me. And was like, yo, I heard about your recruitment process. He like, man, I just got the assistant coach or the associate coach uh, coaching job at Mercer County Community College. Yo, he like, come over here for one year with us, and we're going to get you where you need to be. Right? My initial thoughts, like, man, Mercer County? I could have played Mercer County as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, uh, why would I go there? But it's Greg Grant. Right? So, but he said go. So, I went to Mercer County. But when I get to Mercer County, I'm around all these white kids, and they asking me, like, they know I'm from Trenton. Can you get weed? Obviously, I can get weed. Right? Before you know it, I'm selling weed on campus. Before you know it, I'm the biggest weed dealer on campus, before you know it, I got these white kids coming to the hood. Like, guys around the way think I'm selling heroin because I'm selling so much weed. I'm selling a pound of weed a day, right? It got to the point where I had got a phone call, and I'm in practice, and I didn't want to miss this sale. So I lied to my coach. I told him that my grandma was sick, and I had to leave, and I never came back to practice. Right? From that moment, I, I quit basketball, right? You quit basketball in school or just no, basketball? No, I kept going to school because I, I wanted to keep an image. See, I was still living with my mother. Right? I didn't want her to know that I was selling drugs, but I kind of knew. She had to know. But I ain't never asking for no money at the age of 16. I stopped asking for money. right? Uh, but I still was, I had to have a facade. You know, in the neighborhood, oh, that's Shane, play basketball. They think I'm a good kid. Right? But I'm doing a lot of bad things. So did you, so did you, so let's talk about that. Did you graduate from college? No. So you're not a college. So you didn't graduate from college. Not that college. So so what ended up happening? I graduated from street college. <laughs> <laughs> so so what ended up happening? What what made you what made you stop? Because like I said, like so we had a conversation months ago, and I could tell that you're an intelligent person. Thank you. So what what made you what made you say okay, I'm about to do this full time and and walk away from the good guy image that you was uh, putting on and, and go full-time streets? All right, well, eventually I started selling cocaine, right? Crack cocaine. Because the weed money that I, that I was making that was coming fast, it had slowed up. But then there was a prominent drug, uh, he was an ex-drug dealer, but a, a prominent figure, a prominent uh, figure in my life who I looked up to, um, who had turned his life around, right? He used to be one of the biggest drug dealers in my neighborhood. And he pulled me to the side, and he was like, yo, what you doing? Because he thought I was going to the NBA, too. He's like, man, what are you doing? Why are you selling drugs? I said, man, I like nice shit. Right? I grew up in an era where, you know, your clothes kind of defined you. Right? You know what I mean? Like, like, you weren't getting pretty girls, for the most part, if you ain't have on Coogee. Right? If you ain't have on Iceberg. And that cost cost. Like, these kids today, you get a belt, 
and a pair of shoes, you're all right. You can have on jeans that nobody know the name of. But back then, your outfit was 5000 You had, I mean, you had a $5,000 outfit, you're going to get a pretty girl. Right? He's <laughs> still can't. Right, right. <laughs> really right? back then, he was so easy. So he like, yo, you like nice things. He like, you can go to, you can go to get a job and get nice things. He like, man, if you're going to sell drugs, he like, man, sell it like your life depends on it. He like, man, sell it and get something way more valuable out of it than some clothes. So I never forgot that. At that time, I had probably like 5000 worth of clothes in my closet, Iceberg, Kooji. I never wore it. I kept it in there for a reminder, saying, damn, I'm risking my life. I'm risking my freedom for this. So the next time when I wear this, I'm gonna have, I'll be able to buy this 20 times over. So that was the moment that I said, you know what, I'm going all in. So when you, was in, you said you was in college, you, you, you became essentially the plug. Like yes. If, if you to the it, white kids. Yeah, to the That's white cool. kids. So, so tell me how that started and how you kept that going. And, and then we'll get to the how you got on cocaine outside of marijuana because you said it dried up. But how did you become, like, the plug for weed? And it, You know what I mean? So, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm playing ball at school, right? And, you know, I'm the type of person, like, I'm going to run my mouth, right? Now, man, I'm going to have start conversations with, with anybody, right? So I guess they felt comfortable coming to me. Right, because a lot of people don't know, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a bubbly personality, but at the same time, uh, I know how to be reserved. But you know, obviously, a lot of these kids, you know, I was a little bit more comfortable with showing them my other side, my my bubbly personality, and they would often come to me, "Hey, man, you're from Trenton, right? You can get us some weed." And I'm seeing the guy who is supplying majority of the weed on campus. He ain't no street dude. Like I'm from the streets. Like like so, I know that if I decide to do this, I'm gonna immediately take this over. Right, so that's kind of how it happened, right? One person asked me, I get it for him. Then another person asked me, and y'all say, you know what? I'm about to just monopolize this joint, right? Um, so the guy that I was getting the weed from, I'm like, yo, the weed money's slowing down, right? Because I was selling, like, like regular, high-end, dro. And at this time now, like, Hayes coming around. And he, couldn't, he didn't have access to Hayes. So I'm like, I need something else to sell. Because now I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I need something else to sell. He could have sold me, like, man, like, heroin. I would have sold heroin, right? So he like, yo, sell this. And he, and he has, like, a fistful of drugs. And I'm like, what the hell? He like, it's crack. He like, all your friends already sell it, or most of your friends sell it. He like, sell it to your friends. Because at the time, I probably had, like, 20000 from selling weed. So I didn't ha- have to sell crack to, to the addicts, to the drug addicts. I started selling it to my friends. So you started selling crack in college or yes, back home? in college. Or both? In, in college. So, how'd so you in college, was literally home because it was like, it's Mercer County, right? right, right. right? So it's 10 minutes away from my house. I wasn't on campus. So, so how'd you go from, so, so you went from weed to crack, crack cocaine, right? Yes. And then you went from crack cocaine. What, when did you decide to drop out and like just say, okay, full-time drug dealer? I really can't remember uh, the actual moment, but I know I was in this class, and I was the only uh, teenager in this class. It was all, like, state workers. It was in downtown Trenton, and it just felt weird. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I got, like, 30, 40, 50,000, something. I don't know exactly, but I, I had a nice piece of change. I'm like, what, what am I doing? I'm not really taking school serious, right? I'm not, I'm not pursuing a, a career. Right? I said, man, I'm missing some sales. Right? To what? To appease my mom? Right? To hold up a certain image? 
I said, I'll get a job and do that. Right? You know what I mean? So I, I quit. How'd your mom feel when you uh, dropped out of college? She didn't really feel no kind of way. At least she ain't tell me. Right? I mean, because she didn't really know what I was, was doing. She might have felt a little bit more disappointed that, you know, I didn't continue to play basketball more than I dropped out of college. Because she sacrificed a lot for me to, to, to play at the schools uh, that I went to. Um, like, she gave up her son. Like, I, I moved to Newark um, my junior year. Like, I went to Princeton Day School my ninth and 10th grade year. Um, and despite the fact that it's a very prestigious school at that time, in 1995, the average tuition was 30-something thousand a year. My mom only had to pay five. But you got to think, my mom was a single black parent. Right, so that five thousand could have went somewhere else, right? You know what I mean? So with that being said, like she sacrificed a lot for me to go play basketball, um, and then I just you know, gave up on it. All right, so you went from weed to crack cocaine. So at your highest height, you can put a number figure on it. You can put a, a monthly, daily. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know. I mean, that's one thing I do know about people. You know exactly what you was making. You know, people go to get incarcerated. That's one of the one of the leverage, yeah, man, I was getting this, I was getting that. So at your highest height, uh, and how did you get to that point? How, what was the most you was making, and how did you get to that point? Well, and the, the reason why, my bad, I don't mean to cut you off, and the reason why I ask you that is because when people think of drug dealers, they think of like a... The street corner guys? Yeah, 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 and it's like everybody, everybody ain't a street corner guy, you know what I mean? So at your highest height, how, what was you making, it, and how did you get to that point? At my highest height, I, I, was, I had over $2 million. Um, at my highest height, I was buying like 50 keys. But, you know, that 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 is subjective because, you know, I could get 50 keys in Atlanta for 18 a key and I could get 50 keys up here for 24. Right? Uh but at my highest I was actually having numbers and prices that were cheaper than some of the connects that was in New York, which was known for like, for this area where guys would often go. So, so how'd you get to that point? Like, cause you said you started off with weed and then you clearly weed money dried up. Whatever money you thought you wanted, you needed to make at that time wasn't enough. So how, how did you get to that point? Cause you don't just wake up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. Like, was it like. The same way I, I became a, a nationally ranked basketball player. The same process. I tell people all the time, like, like, like success is simple. I ain't say it's easy, but it's simple. Whatever we want to do, it's going to take some hard work, some dedication, some discipline some focus, some execution, the right network system, right? You know what I mean? So I applied everything that I learned in sports to my drug dealing activities. And then my sport accomplishment allowed me to climb the ladder in the drug game. So anytime I meet a connect, especially from up North Jersey, up New York, anywhere, because I played all around the country, I'd be like, yo, what school you went to? And they'd be like, what you mean? I'm like, man, what school did you go to? And they'd tell me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I gave y'all 40. I get y'all 30. And he was like, man, what you mean? I'm like, yo, I played at St. Benedict's. Now, you know, it's a well, uh, well-established, nationally known high school. And what I've come to realize, a lot of prominent drug dealers, they either A, play sports or basketball, or they like sports and basketball. So they, 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 they kind of took a liking to me. right? And then, I mean, at the end of the day, the way I do business, my name is more valuable than anything in the streets. So I ain't going to burn you. Right, no, I mean, and I'm gonna do whatever it is to make sure that my name is even better in your graces. So, so that's kind of how I, I, I climbed up the ladder. Isn't it crazy how sports translates to 
every single thing you do in life. Absolutely. So how old were you when you how old were you when you uh left college? Uh nineteen. How old were you when you got incarcerated? Twenty six. So you talking about so that's just ballpark you saying in your early twenties you was making a lot of you had a lot of accessible money. Tell you a quick story, right? I probably was about twenty two years old and it was a drought. And everybody's blowing my phone up. So many people blowing my phone up. It's, it's becoming unbearable. It's overwhelming. It's frustrated to the point now I, I want to quit, right? So I only had one millionaire in my, in my phone. But I knew I was going to be a millionaire. I told my mom at 16 years old, I'm going to be a millionaire. I didn't know it was going to be do drugs, but I was just locked in. I won't be a millionaire. So the only millionaire I had in my phone was this guy by the name of Troy Vincent. He's actually the vice president of the NFL, right? Grew up on my street. We like family. So uh, I called him. I said, Troy, I got to talk to you. He's like, about what? I said, can't talk to you over the phone, brother. <laughs> so he, like, he was playing for the Buffalo Bills at the time, right? So he like, take a flight, catch a flight. Took a flight. They had just drafted Deontay Whitner. I'm sitting in the, in the press box with him and his family. About to go out to eat with the Keo Spikes. Go to the hotel. He's like, yo, what you want to talk about? I said, Troy, man, I don't know if you know, man, but I sell drugs. And I sell a lot of it. And I'm good, Right? I said, but I hate it. I said, I don't want to do it. Right? I said, uh, help me. So he was like, how much money you got? I said, I got about 500000 He like, what? He like, you got 500000 I'm like, yeah, but I don't know what to do with it. Right? All I know how to do is just keep making more money. Right? You know what I mean? Selling drugs. That's just what I do. So long story short, he, he tried his best, I think, to kind of guide me in the right direction. But it wasn't for me. Right. Um, so with that being said, man, at that young age, uh, I made a lot of money, but that wasn't the pinnacle of what I was making. So I had a question because you, you, you touched on something uh, that I, it always makes my mind wonder. So having $500,000, even having access to $500,000 at one given time, being young enough to do whatever you can with it, why not walk away? Man, because at the end of the day, like, it's like more money, more problems, right? It's like the more you get, the more you want. It's easy to say that when you're outside of the, the realm, right? When you're in that scope, when you're in that fog, like, things aren't as rational, right? Like, it, I got into selling drugs because I wanted Coogee and Iceberg, right? Then the goals, they get bigger, right? Now you start getting access to this money. Now, all right, I want a big house. I start looking at houses in Atlanta. Right, all right, I want my sister to have her own big house. Right, then I'm starting to think about all oh, well, my friends to move down here with me. I got to get them a house. Right, all right, now I want to buy my whole like one of my goals. I wanted to buy the whole street, my whole block. Right, so my goals got bigger the more money I made. But you don't think you could have did that legally somewhere, or you just were uh, missing miseducated? So like, cause sometimes like we know more than black people sell drugs. I mean, mm -hmm. all races sell mm -hmm. drugs. Like it, sometimes the media does a great job at spinning it like we're the only ones doing it. Yes. But we know, I mean, people sell drugs. And people go legitimate selling drugs. Like yes. some people take their money. And when you, I know you know more people than I do. I don't know really any that went legitimate. But they go legitimate selling drugs. So, and, and being as though I know you either had access to this or you knew this, like, and it's just a question. Like maybe you thought about it and it just didn't happen. But why didn't you try to use that resource to find how to legitimately go, like, 
like just completely walk away. I right? did. I did. When I reached out to Troy, he just gave me bad, in my personal opinion, bad advice and guidance. See, I started working for his landscaping company. And he had partnered with another landscaping company. He like, yo, learn the business. You get your own landscaping company. But I didn't want to do that. I was about to you know ask you, mean? Like, was like, landscaping something you really seen no, yourself doing? No, I, and I was making $9 an hour. I just told you I had $500. And you <laughs> you know, pay me $9, bro. You know what I mean? Like, so, but I did it, though. I did it for like three months, and I got bursitis in my elbow, and I couldn't work. And his wife called me and was like, yo, we got to let you go because we can't afford to pay you workman's comp. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going back to selling drugs anyway. Right? So, like, so now what I do is because I'm around a lot of guys. You know, they respect me. They hear my name. They know what I, what I accomplished. They know what I did. Um, but now when I go talk to these kids or I'm, I'm talking to uh, someone who might have a similar situation than mine, I'd be like, yo, what you like to do? Right? This, that man right there, he, he, that man right there asked me one of the most poignant questions I ever had asked in my life. I had lost over a million dollars. I'm thinking about killing the guy who was partly responsible for it. I can't go to sleep. Right, and we shooting pool. Me and that guy right there just walked out, right? And he could just tell it because I'm wearing it on my sleeve. He's like, man, what's bothering you? So I'm like, man, I don't want to talk about it, bro. And if I tell him, I know he's riding with me, right? Uh, so I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, well, whatever it is, it ain't as bad as DS and 30. These were two of my homeboys. They used to buy drugs from me. The feds just locked them up. He's like, whatever it is, it ain't as bad as them. You ain't locked up. I'm like, man, I don't want to hear that, bro. He's like, man... Knowing you, he's like, I know it's about some money. So he was like, man, he like, I know you still got some money. You got some money. He like, man, let me ask you a question. I'm like, what? He said, if you had all the money in the world and money didn't matter to you, what would you do? And I'm like, damn. I said, I'd probably coach or train. Yeah, and, and because, you know, I grew up playing sports. My mom used to always say, yo, you're great with the kids. Like, like I, I used to throw basketball in summer leagues, take my, take my teams out to Great Adventure. Um, and I know the game. I know the game. I love it. Like, it's part, like, I have a cousin. He actually played at Delaware. He played at Delaware. He's the only person ever played for three Division One programs, right? He played at Delaware. He played at LaSalle. And then he finished off at Illinois. And I used to train him and his friend. And they were very young. And I would stop everything moving just to train them. Like, I'm, yo, I'm going to see you later. I'm going to bust that move later. I'm training my, 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 my brother, I mean, my nephew, I mean, my cousin and his, and his best friend. So when he said that, that was like a no-brainer, coaching and training. And it's just ironic now where I'm at today. Yeah, because you're training. You got your own gym. You're doing well. Yes. So I got a question for you. So, like, towards the end, like when you seen it coming, why didn't you stop then? Well, I didn't necessarily – well, I, I, I guess I can't say I did see it coming. What happened was I had me and a good friend of mine, we put together a trip for Memorial Week and for Bike Week. So about 25 of us. Took a star bus, tour bus down there. And right as we're packing, right, we look, and in the alleyways, you know, Trenton houses, they have little alleyways in between the homes. It's a, it's a big behind camera, like an NBA camera. I'm like, oh, shit, they taking pictures. Then they got so bold, they came out the alleyways, literally on top of us taking pictures. So when we get on the road, I had never smoked weed a day in my life. Like, my friends, they smoke like chimneys. You know what I mean, like... They are some smoking, right? I was there. <laughs> so, like, everybody used to try to get me to smoke, right? Because they already know I'm silly. I get, probably get high and be even more silly, right? So, they got, like, two pounds of haze on the bus. So, I'm like, yo, somebody pass me weed. 
So they're like, what? You ain't I'm like, man, give me the weed. So I get the weed or smoke. They're like, yo, you smoke? I said, yeah, because we all going to jail. Right? So you <laughs> did see it coming. So you seen like, it coming. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, we all going to jail. I said, y'all ain't see that? I said, bro, we going to jail. But I had just served all my drugs. I had no drugs. I had all money. So I'm like, I'm not selling. I quit. So if they do lock me up, they're not going to get no drugs. And I'm going to be strategic where I put my money at. Right? So I'm like, I quit. So here go one of my friends, right? He At the time, he used to buy the most drugs off of me. He's buying like 15, 20 keys from me. So he like, he come sit right next to me. He like, bro, you can't quit. So I'm like, what? He like, man, you can't quit. He like, I need you. He like, man, just do two more runs. He like, just serve it to me. He like, let me get rid of the whole package. So I'm like, all right. Because the run I had just made before then, <laughs> I had made more money in that run than I probably made in like five months because it was a drought. And I went way to Atlanta to get it, and I was like the only one in the area with it. I had moved probably like, 40-something keys in, like, a week and some change. Like, it, like it was, like, a, an adrenaline rush that you cannot, like, truly explain. So I'm like, yo, I'm going to do that two more times. I'll have about four or five million dollars. I'll be good. So what happened? Because <laughs> clearly nah, he so, wasn't good. So, I mean, something must have happened. So when I go bust the next move, I got hit with some sham narcotics, man. Like, majority of the product was fake. The other half of it was horrible. I didn't realize it until I took it back. And I was in a whirlwind after that, trying to figure that out. Like, this is what I told you. Like, I was thinking about killing the dude, right? But then I'm like, if I kill him, I ain't going to get my money. And then if I kill him, I'm going to jail because if you owe somebody that kind of money, I'm pretty sure you're going to tell somebody about it. Right? I'm going to be the first suspect. My phone number is all in. So I'm thinking like a cop. So I'm like, yo, I just got to scare him to the point where I make him run in the bank and get my money. Like, like so I was trying to figure it out. Um, and in the process of it figuring out, I ran back into my old connect. And my old connect, Colombian dude, and I had a, a very strong Colombian connect. And um, I told him the situation. I'm like, yo, I got burnt for like over a million some dollars, man. I'm like, uh, I need you. I said, I still got money, but I'm afraid to spend it. I probably had like four or five hundred grand left. Right? Know what I mean? So uh, I'm like, if you front me 20, I'll buy 20. Right? Know what I mean? Matter of fact, no. Because Coke at that time was like 30-something a key. So I'm like, yo, you front me 10, I'll buy 10. And he was like, oh, I can't do it right now. And ooh, ooh. So the dude that I was with, he never met my connect. Didn't meet him that day. He was in the parking lot. And he's like, yo, what happened? I explained to him. He's like, yo, let me rob him. So I'm like, rob him? I'm like, he's like, man, he don't love you. He's like, man, you in a jam. You done spent millions of dollars with that dude, and he can't look you out. It ain't like you ain't trying to spend money with him. I'm like, nah, I ain't never robbed nobody damn my life. So a few weeks later, I'm in the club with the same guy. He, he used to call me P. Diddy. He's like, man, P. Diddy, I'm fucked up. And mind you, I used to look up to this dude. He was the first guy to take me out of town to get a connect. At one time, he used to be one of the bigger drug dealers. Not like me. Blew my mind that he was nothing like me, right? You know what I mean? But um, he's like, yo, man, I'm, I'm messed up, bro. I, I, let me rob him. I said, you know what? We going to rob him. So a lot of people don't even know. Like, I went to jail for, for, for attempted robbery at 20 Keys. Like I, had, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had already made it in my mind that I was ready to die. Right, because I knew that like, if, if I robbed this dude and get away with it, he going to try to come back and kill me and my family. Right, but I was so, like, in a whole different thought process, I didn't care. Right, I mean, I was willing to kill if I had to, and I was willing to die if I had to. Because I lost over a million-something dollars in one split second. So prior to that, you were, it sounds like you were nonviolent, right? 
I mean, no. <laughs> no, I'm most rationally violent. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I grew up in Wilbur section. Right. Right. We got a reputation of being tough. Right. From a very young age, the drug dealers make you fight. Right. So I'm not going to pick a fight, but I'm not running for one either. And I'm going to stand up for my friend who is afraid to fight. So when I say nonviolent, then let me, because you can still say no to this, but let me bring clarity to us. When I bring, when I think of nonviolent, right? So like, there's Mexican cartel leaders mm-hmm. or drug dealers mm-hmm. that that literally are, are st- business, money, tunnels, right. funnel, right. money. Right. Then you got shot callers who are, you do something, off with your head. So what I mean by nonviolent, you seem like, just listening to you, you were more on the business side of things. Now, I know in order to make money, some people got to, you know, things got to happen. I mean, I always had people come up to me, you know, wanting to, do things that could get me life in prison, right? Always coming, yo, you need this done? Nah, I don't. If I do, I'll let you know. But, yeah, but, yeah. but, no, I got this, right? And it's funny, right? Uh, one day, I'm hanging out on the block, me and two of my friends. One just had came home. Another one was a higher-ranking blood member. And the DEA wrote, run down on us, like five DEA cars, put it us against the wall. And he, he go in my pocket and, and he get my wallet. And he's like, oh, holy shit. He's like, man, Shane West. He's like, he like everybody stop searching. He's like, man, I want to introduce y'all to somebody that if I was a drug dealer, this is who I want to be like. And I knew who he was. Like, it was my business to know who this DEA, he was the head DEA, right? And so my friend who just came home and my other friend who was a high-ranking gang member, they started laughing, right? And uh, he was like, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but he's going he gonna to tell him, he's going to say, yo, make sure that Shane never becomes a blood. He said, because if you become a blood, and then you get involved with these murders, I'm coming to get you. He was like, man, to be honest with you, he said, I really respect how you move, right? Know what I mean? So he was like, man, it was another guy in my city getting a lot of money, and he did the total opposite. And he was like, yo, I just served him his murder warrant. He said, I used to follow him all around. He was getting money, and then once he got involved with the bloods and the murders, that's when we came and knocked his socks off. So for me, I knew that violence was uh, uh, necessary when it was necessary. If we could dispute, I mean, disperse, I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Diffuse, yes. If we could diffuse the situation politically, that's the best approach because we cannot get money. It's times, bro, at the height of the blood era where nobody was outside. Like, you cannot be outside. It's times where people don't even know that I was backdoor fixing situations because I was across town serving high-ranking gang members who were accustomed to getting a lot of drug money before they became high-ranking dr- uh, 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 blood members, and they were always getting their drugs from me. So when they became high-ranking drug uh, uh, blood members, they still was getting their drugs from me. And then people in my neighborhood who became high-ranking blood members was getting their drugs from me. It's not good business for none of us. How can we fix it? So I'm behind the scenes talking to them like, yo, man, it ain't that serious. Yo, we're going to do this. Let's make it. So I always was looking to defuse the situation before. Before you have to get violent. So, do you remember your first day incarcerated? Matter of fact, what did you, you said you got locked up for it? What would you get locked up for again? Well, initially, I got locked up for attempted robbery of twenty keys, uh, conspiracy of robbery of twenty keys, and a firearm. I had a gun on me. Okay. Right? I got locked up by ICE. See, my connect was Colombian. Mm-hmm. He started cooperating with immigration. So you, so your, your connect essentially set me told up. on you. Oh, yes, shoot. my connect set me up. Talk about that. Yeah, right. So the whole time while when I went to go ask him for some assistance, that's why he couldn't help me. Right? Before he got jammed up, he told me to quit. Right? Now I mean, it was a time where I told you I moved all those keys, right? I had got it from him. 
And boom, it's the first time he ever fronted me. Nobody ever fronted me, nothing. Right, now I mean? I climbed the ladder on all on my grit. Nobody would give me nothing, right? So I'm getting like 40 keys from this dude, right? He wouldn't front me nothing. And one day he's like, yo, everything you've been asking for the last few years, I'm going to do it now. He's like, it's hot up my way. I'm going to let you unload the whole package. Whatever you buy, I'm going to put on top of it, right? Boom, we bust that move the first time. It was exhilarating. I'm like, yo, I do this a few more times. I got five, I'm going to have like $5 million, right? So when I go to the, the, the bust the move again, he's not answering. I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, I just moved all this coke. So I drove up there by myself. Drove up there, knocked on the door. I don't know if he was living there, but that was the house that he took me there. He opened the door all frantically. He's like, man, come on. I'm like, yo, why the hell you ain't answering the door? He's like, man, he got all this paperwork on his, on his counter in the kitchen. He's like, yo, I got locked up. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, I got locked up um, by ICE. I had no idea who the hell ICE was. I thought ICE was like some local task force. Right now, mind you, my connect had a great front, too. He's a real estate agent and a bartender, right? Know what I mean? So he never been in trouble neither, right? So he was like, he had got set up for a key. And I'm like, a key, bro? You don't serve nothing under 10 keys. What are you doing selling a key? He like, he's giving it to his girlfriend's brother, but his girlfriend's brother was setting him up. But he was lying to me, right? In the big scheme of things, he was lying to me. But he was like, yo, you should quit. He's like, you should quit. And I'm like, quit? Bro, I just moved all these keys in like a week and a half. Quit. Put me on somebody else. Know what I mean? That's how I'm coming. Yo, you can't direct me. So he like, nah. So that's when I start fishing for other connects. And it's not like you can go around the corner and get a plug that can serve you 50 keys. Before we get to uh, jail, could you have quit? Like, honestly, could you? What, did you put yourself in the position? Like, did you position yourself to literally walk away, cash, and say, I'm done? Did you? No, because I was, I was ignorant, right? As, as intelligent as I thought I was, right? I was doing a lot of dumb stuff, bro. Like, I had no legitimacy. Right, only thing I ever owned was some cars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gucci. I didn't even, I didn't even own that. It was a point like I had got so comfortable with being who I was, I didn't have to wear those kind of clothes. Like it was a point if you knew, you knew. Yeah. Know what I mean? Like my, my name was more valuable than any clothes that that I was putting on. So I could go to a club in some sweatpants. Cause I'm gonna pull out a knot of like ten thousand and buy everybody drinks, and they gonna know. Oh yeah, he's getting to it. Even if they don't know, they know because I'm pulling out knots. I take all the young boys to the strip club, buy them all sh- dances and whatever. Now I mean, my money was speaking for my money was my clothes. Now, so I mean, that's it's crazy because I mean, like if you really pay attention to wealthy people, they kind of have that same mindset. So that's why it, it kind of surprises me that, because I said you seem like an intelligent guy, went to college, the whole nine, played basketball. It just it seemed like to me. You would have positioned yourself See, there, to be able to walk out. I wish I could have or wish I would have, right? Uh, but oftentimes, we only know what we see, yeah. right? We only know what we're taught, right? If I would have had somebody, because I had people say, bro, you need to invest some of your money in real estate. And that was my goal. But I ain't had that no know-how, mm-hmm. right? If someone would have came to me and be like, yo, this is how you invest your money in real estate. Bro, I took $50,000. I put it in this. I just made 125000 He go to check. I would have easily been like, show me. Mm-hmm. When the first person showed me how to cook Coke and took 100 grams and made it 150, let me see that again. <laughs> when the person showed me how to put Coke together and then take cocaine and take it from powder form and put it back into a kilo, show me that again. Yeah, they showed you. They yeah, showed yeah, me. that makes sense. Yeah. So question, your first day incarcerated. Uh, first thing, what did you go for? So you went to jail for setting a guy up, and what, did you, what was you sentenced to? 
No, I ain't go to jail for setting nobody up. I mean, uh, for, uh, for uh, attempted robbery with 20 keys, my bad. Right, right. And, and then so what You happened, got set up. Right, right. So what happened was when ICE came to get me, right, I met them at the mall. And they like, yo, you're getting 30, 40 years. I'm like, 30, 40 years for what? They like, for all of them keys. I said, I don't know what y'all talking about. So they like, well, what about the 700,000 that you got over there? I said, man, I don't know what y'all talking about. So mind you, when I used to go see my connect, I had military bags of money. Just like the movie, uh... What is that, American Gangster? Mm-hmm. That's how I'm taking my butt. That's how, my, that's how I go cop my, my drugs in military bags or laundry bags. So that's what I had. So when they go grab the bags, they dump the bags out. I ain't nothing but clothes, right? So they're like, oh, shit, you was going to rob them, right? So I'm like, I told you I don't know what y'all talking about. So boom, next thing I know, the local police uh, rose up. So now they handing me over to local police. I don't know what the hell is going on, right? I'm thinking I'm going to jail with the feds or with ICE, whoever ICE is. I get to the station in the local police in Lawrence uh, uh, Township. They're like, you know who those guys are? I'm like, I kind of. He's like, man, those are federal agents. He said, whatever you into, they really want you, and they probably going to come back and get you. So you need to talk to somebody. You should talk to me. I said, no, I'm going to talk to a lawyer. So, boom, I get in the little bullpen. A lawyer come, pull me out, and then that's when I realized what happened. Now, I mean, it had a known person, confidential informant, Terry Gonzalez, had a deal set up with the Union, Essex County Prosecutor Office, Blasey, and then that's when I seen that my connect had set me up. And I'm like, wow. Did he know that you was in the process of robbing him? No, not at all. Oh, shoot. I mean, not, not, not until the situation went down, right? Uh, so then I bail out. I bail out, and I'm home for like two, three days. I can't go to sleep. Night quill is like water to me. Right, know what I mean? Like, literally, I cannot go to sleep. I wouldn't be able to neither. Right, so I done went and talked to about three or four lawyers. They all tell me I'm going to jail, right? But some of them saying 15 years, some of them saying 10. And I had one lawyer like, yo, all I see is a gun. He said, you might do two years off this gun. So I hired him. Two, days, two three days later, I'm coming out. Matter of fact, the dude who just left, he chirped me. This was back in the day we had chirps. He like, yo, it's funny out here. He like, man, there's people all around your house. He like his helicopters riding all or hovering around your, uh, hovering around the neighborhood. Mind you, a few people knew what happened, so I'm like, yeah, it's probably the feds. They just watching me. Know what I mean? But I ain't doing nothing. But I really was. I still was selling drugs. <laughs> I still was selling drugs, right? So uh, I'm like, man, you know what? I'm coming out. My son was six months, right? And, and the crazy part about it is, my my girl at the time, she was pregnant, and she was like, I'm about to go get an abortion because you're going to jail. And I'm like, I ain't coming to the hospital with you. That morning, she went. And I'm like, I'm not going. So she left to get the abortion at like 7 o'clock in the morning. I didn't go. I'm like, you know, because I wanted the baby. So at like around 12, I said, man, I'm going outside. I got bills to pay. So I'm coming outside. I got my son in my hand. Six months. Put my son in the car seat, and it came from everywhere. With your son there? With my son there. I knew that was humbling and disrespectful. And, and What emotions did you have around that time? Because I, I couldn't imagine. I don't know. I couldn't imagine going there. And then... And then I'm sure that was your last time being able to touch your son until you were sentenced. And how long was you sentenced? I was sentenced, I mean, after the fact, or how many years was I sentenced to? Yes, both. Well, after the fact. Okay, well, from there, they took me straight to prison, right? I went up into, uh, I went to Green Street. It's like a holdover in North New Jersey. The worst jail cell ever. Like, if they made that jail, nobody probably would commit crime. <laughs> like, like, literally, like... <laughs> Like, that, that, was, that first day, like the first couple of hours, like, I said, man, I don't know if I could do this. Right? You know what I mean? Like, this is horrible. Well, I went from Green Street. I was on Green Street for, like, two days, and I went to Essex County. Um, and I didn't get sentenced until almost two years later. 
But once I got to Essex County, I started kind of figuring out what was going on with my situation. Because in Essex County, they put you in a federal unit. Like, they separate state units, county uh, inmates from the feds. So you're around guys who either A, are facing a federal charge, or B, facing a federal charge and been to, to the feds already, or C, on a violation. So most people in there kind of got an idea of what's going on. And then, you know, I start talking to people about my case, and I realized that, you know, I was, I was going to more than likely probably do some serious time. So how much time did they sentence you to? I got 10 years, which was a blessing. And did you did you serve the entire 10 years? And where was you? What prison was you sentenced to? No, I did seven. I did almost eight years. I did seven years, three months in prison. I did three months. No, I did four months in the halfway house. And I did two months on home confinement. So tell me about your first night in prison. Because coming from, that was your first time incarcerated ever, right? Yes. So tell me about that because... uh. That's a under, under talked about uh, thing. Like so, and I'm and I'm gonna give you a little bit of backstory on why I'm saying that. So you meet people who uh, come home from prison or go to prison, and they act as if uh, it's not a big deal. And the reason why I say they act like it's not a big deal, I get it, because it's like badge of honor almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you're celebrated when you come home. Right, right. So it's like, and then you, the person that's being celebrated, it's like nine times out of ten people aren't like, yeah, man, that was the worst experience ever. Like, my first night, I cried myself to sleep or, or whatever that looked like. So, <laughs> talk about that. I mean, we're going to talk about my first night in jail. Because, like I said, I was in Green Street for two days. First now, night in jail. Bro, it was horrible. Like, literally, just imagine the worst jail that you could think of in the 1920s. Right? Uh, Green Street is one of the oldest precincts in the state of New Jersey. Like, like it, it had a wooden bench that probably was about three feet. Right? The food, I, it was, I couldn't tell what it was. All I could do was just tell from the different colors. I didn't even eat it, right? And then they wouldn't even give me a phone call. Like, they were giving everybody a phone call except for me, right? So, like, you don't know what time it is. Uh, you, you literally, it's bars. I'm in a cell with bars, a, a, a small bench, and I ain't eating. Did it break you? All jokes aside. Did, no. It didn't break you? No. No. And I the reason why I asked you that is because, uh, like I said, you high, you really high energy, high spirits. And, uh, like, I... I I look at it, and Silk, me and Silk was talking about this before you got here. Uh, I was, I look at it in, in two ways. There's one, there's well, two type of criminals. And I worked in a juvenile facility, so I mean, they're mentally, they're not adults yet, but I'm sure it's, it's, it's kind of the same approach, right? Mm -hmm. So you have people that come, they get incarcerated, it breaks them, and they're there and they're reckless. They don't care, or they act as if they don't care. No guidance, no nothing. And then you have. The one that's like, yo, I don't want to do this again. Like, I, I did what I did, so I'm going to do my time. Right. But I'm not doing this again, so I'm going to learn, do whatever I can to to make this never happen again. It sounds like you took that approach, or am I? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, now, Green Street, I don't care how tough you is, it's going to break you from some standpoint. It didn't break me emotionally or mentally, right? Uh, but it was breaking me physically. You know what I mean? Like, just being in that space, right? Not eating the food, right? But because of everything I had already been through in my life, right? Uh, uh, my neighborhood, right? My, my, my family dynamic. Like I told you, my, I was a secret my entire life. My dad kept me a secret my entire life. Here I am, a, 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 a straight-A student, a nationally ranked basketball player, and my dad won't introduce me to my family, right? So I dealt with that my entire life, and I never asked God, why me? Right, I always use that as a source of strength. 
So whatever went wrong in my life, I just used it as power. So at that moment, it was just this, all right, nigga, like, oh, excuse me. Are you good? Like, like all right, man, this this another another opportunity. It's, it's, it's like the credible heart when you get hit, right? Know what I mean? Go ahead, hit me. I'm going to get stronger off of this, right? So the moment that I had an epiphany and I did exactly what you just said was with my third lawyer, right? I had, I had hired three lawyers. My third lawyer is well-renowned lawyer. She had big cases, man. She was involved with one case with one of the uh, biggest drug dealers from New York. He was dating Lil' Kim. Um, Jay-Z was part of that case. Tyson, 50 Cent. Um, and she used to tell me the stories. Like, she had to carry a gun. And, you know, she had a, a, a lot of respect in the federal system. And she was like, to be honest with you, Shane, she was like, you don't really have no win with this. She's like, a win for us would be just hoping we get the, the mandatory minimum. Know what I mean, which is 10 years, because I was facing 10 years to life. She said, you know what I mean? So she came to visit me, and she's like, um, if you don't sign this plea agreement today, your case will be going to the grand jury, and it will go from a complaint. See, I never got indicted, right? It's just like information. They said, we got this information on you, and if you don't do right, we're going to charge you. And, right, so she was like, if you don't sign this complaint, uh, you're going to get indicted, and your case is going to go to the grand jury, and you're going to be facing 15 in life, because when I got apprehended, I had the gun. So now they're going to charge me 10 years for the drugs, which they came for me. But now they stumble across this gun when they came for me, and they're going to charge me additional five years for that. Now, I wasn't the greatest math student in class. I was a great student, but math wasn't my favorite subject, and I wasn't the, the smartest mathematician. But I know that 10 years sound a lot better than 15. It's a, 10 years sound yeah, better than anything over 10 years. Right. Sound better than 11 exactly. years. Right. So I took that, and I signed it. I, don't, I promise you guys, man, I don't know how I picked my hand up to pick that pen up. Man, it seemed like that pen was about 50 pounds. And I'm looking at my signature as I'm making it on the paper. And I'm like, damn, these are thoughts. Literally, these are thoughts. I thought my signature was going to be worth millions of dollars, not 10 years to life. <laughs> know what I mean? I'm looking at that joint. I'm like, yo, I used to practice my signature as a kid. Know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's going to be famous. It's going to be worth money. Man, I come to find out it was worth 10 years in the federal system. So when I, like, this is literally an epiphany. When, I, when my lawyer left, and we left the, the, uh, the room designated for lawyer visits, she went to the right, and I watched her go down a corridor. And in Essex County, they have these long, big, dark corridors. Like, you're really not in no space with correction off. They have bubbles, and they have cameras where they can watch you. So you be in there by yourself. And I'm watching my lawyer just get smaller and smaller and smaller as she's leaving to go to freedom. Now, I got to go back to, to at this point in my mind, death, right? Hell, right? It's the lowest of my low. But then that's when I, I, I had another moment, right? And I just shook it, shook it. I said, you know what? All right, all right. They want a battle. I'm going to win the war. They just want a battle. They don't even know what they just did. They just created an animal. Y'all just sparked something that y'all probably never going to see again. I'm about to tear everywhere, everything up. I'm going to be into everything. I'm about to be into the Word, right? I'm going to study this Bible like nobody else did. You know what I mean? I'm going to be working out crazy. Whoever was the man in the unit with the calisthenics, he lost his title, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to learn some business. I'm going to learn a, a, another language. I'm like, yo, jail is my new college. I'm going to meet friends. I'm going to connect. Because even though I made a lot of money, I ain't go nowhere. Right here in Jersey? Yeah, man. I yeah. mean, I wasn't going nowhere. I wasn't traveling. I mean, I, I was not taking vacations and doing nothing that was worthwhile to a certain extent. I was not that cultured. 
right? So I said, I'm going to change that. And from that moment forth, that day, I went and I approached the dudes in the unit. I said, who could do the most push-ups here? And they like, that dude right there. And I went over there to them. I said, bro, you just lost your title. He's like, what? I said, man, I'm, before I leave this unit, I'm doing the most push-ups. And I said, man, who could do the most pull-ups? He's like, that dude over there. Went over there, hey, yo, you lost your title. And then I just was just, my entire bit, just focused on maximizing and just going to the extreme of whatever I did. No, because for one, like, I, 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 I look at my life as, like I said, I'm a, I'm a spirit of God, right? Right, so, and I know people might take this comment and try to misconstrue it, but it's almost like, like Jesus, right? Like, uh, I'm a sacrifice. I'm sacrificial, right? If my life can save two, it's worth it. Yeah. Now I mean? So, so at the end of the day, I, what I'll go through is for everybody else. Like, I used to hustle hard so my friends don't got to go out West Trinity and ask nobody for a package. And I ain't putting your business out there. You can come get it from me. Right? Now I mean? Like, literally, when I was thinking about moving to Atlanta, I wanted to move my friends with me. My mom used to always say, you can't match your friends. Yup. Sound like my brother. <laughs> when he was in his 20s. I don't think he think like that now. He done, he done lost, him, lost a lot, but he sound like him. So being in prison for seven long. No, don't, t- don't do that. Give me my three months. Seven matter, years. Matter of fact, my, my nine months, because... Like I said, I was in behind the wall right. for seven and three months. I was in I was on uh, 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 in the halfway house for four months, and I was on home confinement for six. So that's seven years, nine and nine months. And guess what's the worst part? The beginning and the end. And knowing you was leaving, probably the, the, forever. The, 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 the halfway house and my yeah. mom. So, question: Any programs? I mean, you can say no, but were there any programs or anything that uh, got you, like? So I, I, you mentioned the push-ups. Like, so you mentioned the different things you did to compete to keep your mind off of your circumstances, yes. like things to keep you waking up, keep you driven, and all of that. W- were there any programs that you found helpful that changed your life Absolutely. mentally? Two of them. I mean, they, 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 it's not even without consciously thinking. It just resonated immediately. Uh, the personal fitness uh, uh, training course that was offered in the federal institutions, uh, and not just for me. I know it saved, helped save a lot of people's lives. Right, but at the end of the day, I tell people all the time: prison did not save me, a program did not save me. Me and God did this, right? It was just an opportunity there, right? Now I'm saying, and that opportunity I took full advantage of because I promise you, for like my first four years, I didn't know what the hell I was gonna do when I came home, and it was scary, right? Because I don't got all this money that I used to have, right? My entire adult life, I sold drugs. What I'm gonna do when I come home? Right? I got four years left, and I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do when I come home. Yeah. Then the personal training course. It kind of like hit me like a ton of bricks, cause I'm already training dudes, right? I'm already have a reputation as the workout guy on the in the in the, in the prison system, right? So, in the personal training course, it's only 12 slots, and it's a six month program, and they go by release date. I wasn't going home until four years later. They usually only let person who's going home within a year or two. So what I did was I had already had a reputation as being one of the best basketball players, if not the best basketball player in the prison. And there's one institution next to Pittsburgh. They love their sports. Love they sports. The warden come down there and watch me. The captain come down there and watch me. Like, I'm the entertainment, right? So I used to get certain privileges. So I go to the, uh, the head basketball coach of what they call the varsity team. They would take the 12 best players in the prison, and they would bring outside teams in to play us. So I went to him because one of his friends was teaching the course or was running it. And I'm like, uh, his name was Mr. Gresco. I'm like, Mr. Gresco, man, you think you could talk to Kirsch and get me in the program? So then – I went to somebody else who had been at that jail for 20 years. He was from Philly. 
right? And he used to work for Kirsch. I'm like, yo, can you put in a good word for Kirsch? I want to take the program. Then I went and spoke to Kirsch after like a couple of days letting them go holler at him. He was like, well, we already got a full class. Uh, you can get in the next class if, if it's available. I said, nah, just let me sit in the class. I don't even got to get the credits. Let me sit in the class. Then he said, you know what? You can come in the class, man. And what happened was I sat right in the front. My boy actually was teaching it. See, the correction officer, he was, his name was on the course, but he didn't know this information, right? He, it was just a formality, mm-hmm. right? The inmate was actually teaching it. And this inmate, so he was a trainer on the streets, most intelligent man I met when it came to the science of the body. And he my boy. He was from New York. So he was my teacher when we was in class. So I sit at the front. I'm raising my hand, and I'm asking all the questions. I'm raising my hand, and I'm answering all the questions. It's to the point where he's like, can somebody please answer or raise their hand other than Shane? See, because most of them there was passing time. See, I was in there to save my life. So I knew that the personal training was something that I could, use, could leverage and hustle. So I took it serious. I said, man, I need this information. I tell people all the time, money, once you understand what money is, you'll get more of it. Right? Now, I mean, if you start actually stop chasing the money, now I mean, you'll get more of it. See, money ain't nothing but paper and electronic transaction, transactions. Now, what it represents is the true value and it's information and relationships and trust. Right? So I was chasing the information. I was chasing the knowledge. So people paying me now for my knowledge. And that's wonderful because, again, we're in this gym, and clearly you're doing something right because you still going. You know what I mean? COVID, all that. So when did you come home? Uh, the end of 2016. Have you been back incarcerated since? No, sir. But I'm going back. But I'm going back to talk. Right. I'm going to go back to speak. Share my, my story, share my message, give, give the inmates hope. So with that said, how, how difficult, because being one way, right, being one way prior to incarceration and then coming home, because clearly you did something right. So being one way prior to incarceration and coming home saying I'm not going back. Sounds like to me you said that to yourself at Absolutely. one point in time, whether it was early on, at the end, middle, doesn't matter. You said it to yourself. So being one way and then coming home and having to adjust back, uh, was how, how was that? Was it a struggle for you? Or how, like, how, it's still, how was a, that it's still a struggle, man. Like, like I suffer from anxiety. I didn't even know what anxiety was. Right? Uh, it's a struggle when you don't have the resources that you used to have. It's a struggle when people don't jump as high or jump at all. Uh, prior, I call somebody, they're answering it before I even dial it. Now, sometimes it's like you bothering them, right? So it's a, it's a struggle with that. It's a struggle having ideas and not having the, the funding to, to get them off the ground, right? It's a, fun, it's a struggle when you have a vision and you don't have a support team to help you carry it through, Um. But they don't do nothing to make me strong. What about uh relationship with your son? Like how? Oh, it was rough, man. It literally was rough. I told people when I came home, especially like the people that was the closest to my son, that I was going to need them to bridge that gap. See, when I went to jail, my son was six months. When I came home, he was nine. Right? So at the end of the day, I knew that he respected close family members more than he respected me. So when it came to parenting, I knew that I was going to have to lean on those around me to kind of like, Put some validity to my parenting, and they didn't do that. Like it was an extreme struggle, bro. Like it was rough. Like I, I went and sought therapy. Like I, I attempted to get my son, my son's mother, 
my 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 family, my sisters, my mom into therapy, right? Because we needed it, and today we still need it. I think like if you come from any impoverished community, any urban community, we should be having therapy, bro. Because we all got these traumas that we're dealing with, and oftentimes we're taught to suppress them, right? We're taught to lie, right? We're taught to think that you know time is going to heal it. Time does not heal wounds, right? You have to treat them. If you get shot, you sit there. Is it going to heal itself? No, you got to go to the hospital. Let a doctor work on it, right? And that's the same thing when it comes to these traumas that we've been dealing with for years, right? So my relationship with my son has just started to get better in the last couple of years as he's matured, right? Uh, um, and then, like I said, it was a struggle, man, right? Because I, I, I literally learned how to box in prison so I could have something in common with my son because like, they said my son was boxing around like six, and my bunkie used to train kids in boxing. So I had to ask, you know, teach me how to box. You know, because now this is something that me and my son can, can relate to, we could bond with. Uh, but when I came home, like I said, it was just an ultimate level of, of disconnect. It was disrespect. And, like, the people who were around them, they, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing them. I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, discrediting what they did. All I'm saying is just giving them a different perspective. Where they thought they were giving love, they were enabling. Where they thought they were giving love, they were hindering. Right? You know what I mean? So if I say you should hold the door for somebody that's coming behind you and you should say thank you, and they say, oh, he's just a kid. He, no. I wasn't, I wasn't I raised like that. I agree. Right? You know what I mean? So it was just with certain things that my son was doing that they weren't, they weren't stamping when I was parenting. And then he looking at me like, well, such and such said I ain't got to do it, so I ain't got to listen to you. Your son said that to you. But man, my son put his hands on me at one point. I mean, not saying it like this, because I, I don't mean it like I'm saying, but like the choices, you know what I mean, made that happen. You know, does that make sense? How was that for you? I can't yeah, it, imagine. It, it, it was, so I just got a son. And I don't mean to cut you off. Mm-hmm. you about to answer. I got a six-month. He turned six months in like two weeks or something man. like that. Yeah, appreciate that. And it's like, and I and I tell my brother all the time, man, because, and I didn't know you had a son. You might have told me, but I don't, I don't remember that. So, like, that's why I'm, I'm glad you being this transparent about it. But I, I can't imagine, like, going to sleep, being able to go home to my son and not having the opportunity to do that. So for to, to not see him again and all that time you missed out until you seen him until he was nine and like it's not his fault, you know what I mean? Like that's crazy. But putting his hands on you, I, I just can't I can't imagine that, but I wasn't away, you know what I mean? The things that happened. But that had to be humbling and that that had to I don't I don't know. Cause I don't I don't know how to ask I don't know how I'm saying this, but it's like that's so humbling to me because I can't even take my mind, and that's why I kind of like cut you off, and I probably shouldn't have. But nah, like, go ahead, bro. That's I mean, crazy. This, this is a conversation. I, but man. I couldn't imagine taking my mind there. If you don't mind me asking, for what? All right, well, boom. My mom, when I came home, I, I, I moved in with my mother, right? And every night, you know, uh, after work, I go downstairs and I, and, I, and I shoot a game of pool with myself. And the pool had became like, Basketball for me. I blew my knee out, and, and you know, I'm a competitor, and basketball used to be my, my, my peace, my sanctuary. Pool. I literally taught myself how to play pool 
uh, because I'm a competitor. You know, we we at a bar, and some of my friends who already knew how to play were showing off in front of some girls, and I sucked, and I ain't like that feeling. So I went and bought a pool table, and I went and bought a 50-inch TV, and I went and bought uh, some DVDs on teach you how to play pool, and that became my piece. So I would go down every night, and I would do that, right? And then I hear my mom upstairs talking about me. One day I'm down there having my piece, and she like, yeah. His stupid behind self don't want to wear a mask. See, because my son's mother told me that if I have my son, because he lived with her, I got to have a mask on around him. He's doing COVID. And I'm like, do you have a mask around him? And he, like, like, I'm not putting no mask on my, around my son. Like, what are you talking about, right? So, you know, I vent and I, and I explain this to my mom, but she kind of take her side. So I hear her upstairs talking about me, and I assume that she's talking to my older sister. So I come upstairs, and I'm like, yo, mom, why you always talk about me? I'm like, y'all, I've been home for maybe, like, a couple years at the time. I said, you have never heard me speak. I used to train senior citizens, and I offered my mom to come be a part of the class. You never came, was a part of the class. I got a DUI when I first came home. You beat that in the ground, right? I said, you don't never want to highlight the positive, but you always want to say something negative. And she's like, this is my house. I'm like, you're right, but that don't give you the right to disrespect me. And she just went off. She's my mom got her own issues, right? I mean, and we try to tap into that, but my mother old. She's older, right? She's almost eighty years old, right? Kind of stuck in her ways. And um, she like I can say what I want in my house. And I and I brought up some of the issues, right? and I said some things that I may have not should have said, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it was really pertaining to me, right? Now I mean, and the situation that I grew up dealing with my whole life, like she never apologized to that situation. She never even discussed it. When it came to me being a secret, right? My mom literally was teaching me and my sister to lie like nothing was wrong with my situation. Like, like I slept in a bunk bed with my stepfather. Like, that's, that's not normal. My mom slept in the front room. Me and my stepfather slept in a bunk bed in the back room. Even though they was married, so my, my stepfather wasn't divorcing my mom. And he wasn't moving out the house, so he stayed, right? So with that being said, like, I bring up those issues, and she like, get out. She kicked me out. So I wound up moving with my older sister. And my son had just made the honor roll. And he going around telling people, I said, look, don't go tell him around you made the honor roll thinking somebody's supposed to give you something. Because you're not supposed to get rewarded for something that you're supposed to do. Now, if somebody want to give you something, cool. Right? So I said, because I'm not giving you nothing for making the honor roll. But I was lying to him. Right? I was going to take him buy a couple pairs of sneakers. Right? So the next morning, I'm like, Shane, get dressed. He named after me. I'm like, get dressed. Yo, we got to run the Best Buy, and then we're going to go to the Nike store. He playing a video game. He like, man, I ain't going. I'm like, bro, I'm going to get in this shower. When I get back out of this shower, you better be ready. I get out of the shower. He's not ready. So I go over there to, to take the controller, and he jumped at me. And my initial reaction was to pop him, and I popped him in his chest. He hit me. And then I hit him. I think he was like maybe 11 at the time. So I hit him like he was 11. Then he hit me again. Mind you, my son in the gym, right? I mean, my son in fire, right? Yeah. So, uh, so he, he hit me again. So force me on. So, 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 so I hit him like he was fifteen the next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hit me again. So now I hit him like a grown man. He started crying and he started whooping up, balling his fist. I said, "You will never be able to beat me. Don't ever think you could beat me." Now my sister in the kitchen, she sees all of this. She hears all of this. So when she see him crying, now she's like, "Why you hitting on him? He ain't no punching back." This and that. I said, "Well, first of all." You need to stay on my parenting business. I said, second of all, since you want to get in it, 
why you didn't get in it when he disobeyed me? It's time to hop in the shower. Right. I said, why you ain't get in it after the first time he hit me? So what? Here, kid, this and the third. I said, you know what? You're right. You're right. I said, the only reason you're right, because I'm in your house. So let me get out of your house. So that's the situation that transpired that caused him it's, to It's hit still me. humbling, man. So I got a question for you, man, because a lot of people don't talk about these two things I'm about to ask you. One, them letters and them phone calls stopping and coming when you're incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Because when you're making money and you live in that type of lifestyle, everybody love you mm -hmm. until you're going. And two, how humbling was it having to move back in with your mom? Because, I mean, I'm sure prior to that, you was no doing whatever you wanted. No, I actually stayed with my mom my whole life. Oh, for real? Yeah, man. I had millions of dollars living in this little-ass room. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, it, still, like, it still had to be humbling yeah. to come on with no resources, though. No, I had, I had a couple. I ain't had much, you know what I mean? But uh, I had enough to, to, to go buy some weights. So that's not true. So that's not true that when you get locked up, they come take everything. They ain't get none of my money. Wow. But I ain't get none of my money neither. Remember I told you yeah. uh, that I had got I got beat for over yeah, a million-something yeah, dollars, yeah. right? And then right before I got locked up, I told you I was selling drugs. I had drugs out on the street. So nobody, no. nobody paid you because you no. were going. Yeah. yeah, you know, you get the excuses. Oh, this got messed up. This, and then I see people with houses. Know what I mean, I see people with playing dumb. I mean, but I can't, I can't. I ain't gonna say I can't, but I refuse to take it there because I would have to be a criminal. I had to risk myself going back to prison. So I, I say, man, that money was was drug money anyway. At the end of the day, man, like that money came from a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Right, the new money I'm getting for one, don't have no cap on it, and for two, it's blessed. Right, know what I mean? So I'm gonna get it back. So, and this is one reason why I ain't going back to jail, or one reason why I'm so focused on not not going back. I'm more focused on what I'm doing. I'm not focused on. I'm never thinking about not going back. Right, right know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I'm a competitor. I said if I can make millions of dollars selling drugs, I'm gonna make billions selling fitness, yeah, yeah. selling pain. Yeah. Like, know what I mean? Yeah, I'm so that's that drives me to see if I can do it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. So. Got a question for you then. So, why fitness? Well, it, it saved my life, right? It literally saved my life. Uh, uh, you know, prison. If you ain't ever been to jail, man, it's the closest thing you're gonna see to Lucifer. It's the closest thing you're gonna see to death than actually seeing it, right? Because it's filled with misery. It's filled with negative energy, bro. Like, and, and they they have these tactics. I'm talking about from the colors of the wall. Right, from the colors of your uniform to how the CEOs talk to you, right? Now I mean to just everything is designed to crush you. Question another question for you. Just just out of my curiosity. Uh can you tell me one of your funniest uh well not funniest. Tell me something that you've seen in prison. <laughs> I know you're going with <laughs> that you uh either one wish you didn't see or two made you say, Yeah, I ride. <laughs> So look, so look, right? So look, so look, right? Boom. I'm in the county jail. I'm in Monmouth County, right? In this county, see, in Essex County, the women are separated. So they're across the street. So, man, dudes, so it's amazing when you take the woman away from you, man, what the, what we do. Right, man? They having bowl sex. So they, they drain the toilets dudes. out. Dudes. Like, so what they do, they drain the toilets out. And you could talk to people throughout the, the, the plumbing system. And, they, and, and they're talking to the women doing the plumbing system, and they're jerking off. Then, like, the women unit is across the street, and the windows are literally about, what's this, about three inches, maybe three to five inches. You can't barely fit your head in there. And dudes are, like, literally jerking off on the window to the girl who got a titty in the window. 
right? <laughs> so then I get the mom of county, right? So mind you, because in Essex County, you don't see women. You only see them across the street in a little window. But in Monmouth County, they in, this, they in the, the units together, meaning like you see them in the hallways, but everybody's, like, they escort it, you escort it, right? So that's the first time I seen a man that looked like a woman, right? So I'm like, damn, that's a, that's a woman or a man? Like, so, but then when I get to Loretto, Pennsylvania, which was my first uh, federal correctional institution, I'm walking down the hall. No, hold on, let me reverse this, let me reverse this. So when I leave Monmouth County, they transported us to Philly. Right, so the, the the sheriffs come get us. It's crazy. One of the sheriffs was a referee. Used to referee my games. I knew you. He did know me. Yeah, yeah. Right, know what I mean. So, so it's like three girls in the van with us. They in the back. We in the front. So it's nothing for me to be in the space of a female. So when I get to Loretto, I'm walking down the hall, and I'm like, oh shit, you got girls here. Oh, this gonna be all right. Right, I'm gonna be all right. right? <laughs> I'm walking down the hall. And what's walking towards me is hips, and I know it got a fat ass, right? Because I see hips for days. Mm-hmm. Then I get up on it. I'm like, oh, shit. It's a man. Uh, but it, it, it has the lips, the jaw bones, right, the titties. Like, everything is put together. And I'm like, I don't mean to say it like disrespectful. But I know what you mean. I, mean, and, I know and, what you and, mean. And, 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 and that's what I'm thinking. That's what, at, at that moment, you know, that's what right. I'm thinking. I'm like, what the hell is this? Hey, where am I at, bro? And then, like, literally, dudes are fighting over this. Uh, over this, I, I believe it, right? I mean, dudes are getting tattooed with this person name on them. Yeah, man, that's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't expect that story, but that's hilarious. That's hilarious, bro. But I, I got on for days, man. It was a situation, man, where you know uh, I was in a twenty-man room, and uh, it was a father and a son in the same prison, and the father. You know, he was homosexual. And I don't have anything against homosexuality. You know, I'm not homophobic. Tell the story. I'm not homophobic, yeah, right? You know what I mean? At the end of the day, like, I have nothing against any culture, creed, any race, any ethnicity, any sexual preference. What you do is what you do, right? Just don't disrespect me. I don't disrespect you, right? So, but I found it kind of, like, odd in prison that they want to have, they used to have, like, family dinners. The son, his father... And the guy that he was wow. messing with. Wow, that's hilarious, man. Turn out the lay. <laughs> that's crazy. I believe it, though. I mean, because, hey, man, you, sometimes you find out who you are when you're sitting by yourself, man. It, that sounds crazy, but it just is what it is. And sometimes, I don't really want to say this, but sitting around the guys, you might get attracted to God. I don't know. I'm no, just, I think that's in you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But sitting around it, like right, sitting around right, it with right, nothing right, else. Right. He give you the yeah, yeah, no excuses. Yeah, it's like, oh, man. This is me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. But how how was how was coming back home? Like, I want to continue that. So I was coming back home. So like, how long was you on probation? And how was that? And did you okay. feel like your PO was supportive? I was sentenced to five years probation. Right. My probation officer. I don't even know. I, I want to call her that. She's more like my friend. Right. Like she was so supportive. I got a DUI. So one of my Best friends, I'm just coming home, literally. He's going to actually be his best man. I'm like, bro, I don't got that money no more. I mean, I'm like, bro, you know I don't got that money, right? I'm like, why would you ask me to be your best man? Right? Now he's like, nah, you my man. So I don't know the first thing about being a best man, right? So I put stuff together, and I get this hotel for, you know, the bachelor party. And it's way up the road. I had just got a car. I wasn't even drinking. Like, I, I was sober. Like, my whole bid, right? And I was... Attempting to be sober, 
while I was home. And then I, I started drinking. And I wasn't drunk until I got, I left the, the party. I got in my car. And I got a DUI. Right. So, um, I just lost my train of thought. Would you just ask me again? You, I was asking you about your PO and like how was okay, probation. Okay, right. So, so, so my PO, she finds out. So what happened was the police, when they come to get me, I wasn't even driving. I wasn't even driving how I got the DUI. I slid out in, in the grass, right? And we got out the car to push. Now, I don't remember the story. That's what he told me. Right? Drunk. <laughs> I was that drunk, right? <laughs> so, so, so I got out the car, and we're pushing, and the police whipped up. So they're like, who car this is? And my friend, you know, he's corporate. I'm not letting him get any trouble, right? I'm like, it's mine. I was driving. So they look me up, and they're like, you on federal probation, right? So they take me to the station, and they look me up, and they, like, some basketball stuff must have popped up. So I'm like, oh, man, you was a hell of an athlete, huh? So um, the next day, my probation officer called me. She's like, I'm coming to see you. So she like, I heard, I heard, found out about the DUI. She's like, don't worry about it. I'm not going to report you. She's like, you are doing a great job. She's like, I'm not going to let this deter you. She's like, do you need help with a lawyer? She's like, I can help you get a lawyer. I'm like, nah, I got it. I already got me get on it, right? Uh, so maybe like a couple months later, six months later, I seen that one of my friends up in North had got off probation early. So I asked my probation officer, I said, is it true that you can get off early? She was like, yeah, in extenuating circumstances, yes. I said, well, how do I do that? She's like, well, write a letter. She said, I'll petition for you. She said, just write a letter. So I wrote like a two-page letter, sent it. Maybe a week later, she calls me. She was like, yo, something happened, never happened in my 20 years. I'm like, what? She's like, the judge want to speak to you. She's like, she's calling a meeting between you, myself, and the prosecutor. So I get to there, I get to the meeting, and it was a new prosecutor. My prosecutor tried me, uh, had retired. So this new prosecutor, like, I have nothing personal against you, but it's my job. I have to uh, uh, oppose your petition for early release. So I'm like, all right, cool. It's not personal. So she gets up, and she's like, yeah, you know, despite the fact that Mr. West is doing a phenomenal job in his reentry, you know, he has done nothing, uh, extenuating, nothing to the point where he deserves to be released early. Mind you, I was sitting in five-year probation. I'm close to a year. So uh, my probation officer gets up, and she petitions. Did a great job supporting me. So now the judge, like, Mr. West, stand up. Tell me why you think I should let you off on probation. I said, well, to be honest with you, Your Honor, I don't care. I said, because I'm not on probation. I said, that's not my probation officer. That's my friend. I said, Ms. Leakin has been there for me from day one. I said, she is someone that I entrust. Someone who I'm going to lean on once I technically get offered probation. So I don't mind. I said, but it, not, it has less to do about me and more about the impact it will make. I said, I go around and I speak to kids, right? Know what I mean? And I said, this will be something tangible that I could give them. Like when you do the right thing, not saying that it's why I'm doing the right thing because I'm not doing it for this. But when you do the right thing, oftentimes more than not, you get rewarded. Right? Don't mean that because I'm doing the right thing, I'm going to get off early. Doesn't mean that. But if I don't do the right thing, I'm not getting off early. You're going to be sitting down. Right? Yeah. Right? So it's for them. Right? I said, but, Your Honor, to be honest with you, I got to be at the gym in about 10 minutes. So can we hurry up and make this happen? I said, whatever you're going to do, because it's a lady. I said, I got a 60-year-old lady. I'm helping her get off a of blood pressure uh, medication. Right? Now I mean? So whatever you're going to do, I'm more than happy with it. And she was like, she was in awe. She was looking like. Somebody get his paperwork. Get him out of here. Mm -hmm. 
Shout out to Miss Lincoln. Miss Lincoln. Shout out to Miss Lincoln. Yeah, she's awesome. Shout out to Miss Lincoln. So we sitting here in your gym, nice gym. Glad we came Thank up you. here. Thank you. Glad I didn't ask you to come to me. I I, I made it a point. I really wanted to come to you, but uh, it. yeah, it's nice, man. I like what I like what you're doing. But here's the thing, right? You know this. I know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did this take? A uh, process, man. Man, I started out in my mom's backyard. I told you I had a couple of dollars when I came home, and I spent a lot of it on equipment, right? Even when I was selling drugs, I used to, for the most part, pour all my money into the product, right? I tell people this is how you hustle harder because you got to get the money back. So I pour all the money into the product. So I say if I did that on that side, that's what I do on this side. So I pour all the money into the product. So when I first came home, I went to Dick's, bought a bunch of dumbbells, a bunch of equipment, and I started training people in my backyard, my mom's backyard. Then I transitioned to the local YMCA. And I transitioned to Powerhouse Gym in uh, and, and Town slash Hamilton Township. Um, and then one of the people I was training, one of my trainees, he used to be in the streets, and um, he's, he's doing real estate now uh, you know, on face value, very successful. Comes to me like, yo, you ever think about doing a gym? I said, yes, every day. So he like, let's do a gym together. I said, bro, I don't have all that money that you think I might have, mm-hmm. right? Like we never we we never met prior to us him training with me, but we knew of each other, right? He much older than me, probably. But I'm 42. He close to about 50, right? Uh, so he like, nah, I'm gonna get the resources. You will pay it back on the back end. So boom, I'm like, all right, cool. So we went and purchased a building in downtown Trenton. About 10,000 square feet. I was not supposed to put not one red cent into it. But he quickly realized that he had bit off more than he could chew after about six months. So after about six months, he comes to me, and he's like, bro, I need help. Mind you, he got all these different projects going on. And I'm like, you know what? You believe in the project. I believe in the project. I believe in the building. You believe in the building. I believe in the area. Here go 10. Give him 10 grand. Then a few months later, here go five. You know, I'm hustling, I'm grinding. He go, he go six. He go such and such. Mind you, he already had put in substantial amount. So he like, look, bro, you ain't gonna never catch up to me like this. So he was like, how about you take over the mortgage? And then after like a couple of years, we'll be 50-50 partners, right? Because at that time, I think he had like 180 in it. So for two years, I was paying the mortgage, but I wasn't seeing nothing progressing. Like nothing was happening. Then COVID came. And that really put a monkey wrench in things. And I had to pivot. And I was training outside. I was training in, in, in my people's back of her restaurant. And, and then me and her kind of had a disagreement, which led me to looking for my own space. And this led me to where I'm at now. Um, so it's it been years, man. I've been home about seven years. But even in, like, I was just telling someone this yesterday, man. I never want to minimize or belittle anyone's recognition or support of me. But the way my mind is wired, I should have been here, right? Now I mean, like that's how I operate. Like, like I operate big. Like I think big, and I think I could do just about anything, long as it's in my capabilities, right? Now I mean, I can't dunk a twelve foot basketball court, right? But I can make a million dollars, right? I can make ten million dollars. I can open my own gym, right? Those are things that's that's in my capabilities. I know that process. Right, everything that I do on the legal side has been established from sports. Everything I did on the legal side was established through sports, right? Because when you play in sports, 
You got to learn how to be a teammate. You got to learn how to be a leader. You got to learn how to be a follower. You got an end goal, right? How do we accomplish it, right? You got adversity. You got losses. You got injuries, right? So all these things that I've been through in my past brings me here. So somebody be like, damn, bro, this is dope, man. You did it. That, did it? Man, this is that. A stepping stone, bro. Let me watch what I do in, in, in two years. That, man. Yeah, man. I hate, I hate that. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I tell you, I'm not minimizing your support, your recognition. Thank you. But if you know me well enough, you know this is nowhere near. I started out selling nickel bags of weed, bro. And then we all looked up and be like, damn. Like, when I first came home, my one of my boys, he was like, Shane, man. Because nobody really knew. They assumed. Unless you were buying like, only a few people who were buying 10, 15, 20 keys from me, like, yo, if I'm buying 15, 20 from him, he got to have. So they speculated because I didn't drive big cars. I had a Honda, a Trepid, and a Maxima, right? So he, he, he like, yo, tell me. He like, man, you mind tell me how much money did you make at your, pi- at your height? I said I had over $2 million, right? So he like, damn, how you get like that? Mind, he started selling drugs before me. I said, remember you used to crack on my clothes, right? I said, you was going, town, you was going downtown to buy clothes. I was going uptown to buy Coke. So I kept putting more money into my product. And I was sacrificing the superficial. Right? Even though I started selling drugs for the superficial, I started sacrificing the superficial because I had a bigger purpose for what I wanted to do with my money. So how much of that, because it sounds like that segues right into my, uh, this, what I'm about to say is, how much of that uh, drug dealer street mentality did you, did, do you apply now into your business? Uh, most of it. Most of it. Some of it you have to like, like you have to tell back a bit. You know, when, when people get disrespectful, right? When 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 people do certain things that if you were in the street, you would handle it a little bit different. Uh, so I have to learn how to be uh, less street in some aspects. Uh, but the grind, the hustle, that part of the business is all street. Like like one guy, uh, he's another one of my I, I would consider a mentor. Uh, his name is Tracy Syfax. Uh, he wrote a book called The Block from the Boardroom. Um, he's doing some great things. He just bought a, a, a restaurant in Philly for like $3.2 million. Um, he did seven years in prison, came home, started his own. He came home, he was working on construction co- for a construction company. Now he has his own. And one of my clients was like, yo, you and Tracy are like the same people y'all need to meet. So we met. Long story short, uh, he like, yo, I have an entrepreneurial program that I'm working on. I want you to write a paper. Uh, to, in order to get the funding. And I wrote the paper, and he was like, Yo, you, did you write this? And I'm like, yeah, I wrote it. He's like, man, you writing a book? <laughs> He's like, you should write a book. He's like, you're a phenomenal writer. Right, you know what I mean? And um, when I wrote it, it was, the, the, the paper was based about, as a, as a, a felon, why do you think you're gonna, you should be or going to be a successful entrepreneur? And this was quite simple to me. See, I think that, Dope dealers, drug dealers are the best businessmen, right? I think they, they have the, all the intangibles and everything that's required to be successful in business because it's simple. The consequences are far greater, right? The consequences come with jail and death. You make a bad decision on the legal side, you lose some money. You might lose a relationship. You lose a company, right? You know what I mean? Like you lose an account. <laughs> Over here, you make a bad decision, you might be in jail, you might go to. You might be in the cemetery, right? So you have to be strategic. You have to be analytical. You got to be manipulative. You got to learn how to be a politician, right? You got to know how to get the same message across to different people. 
And these are things that I applied in my business, right? Know what I mean? Like, I climbed the, the ladder in the drug game by networking. I do the same thing. Like, my friends that I have today, that I met today on the flip side of my uh, in, uh, incarceration, because I put myself in these positions. They don't happen by mistake. Mm-hmm. I literally yeah, would go right sit down in, in the Starbucks and just lo- open my laptop up, and I would have people come down there for consultations. And I'm just the type of person, like, I don't hold my tongue, right? So I'm going to have these conversations. And I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to be a little loud. I'm going to be respectful. But I'm going to be loud enough so somebody can hear me. And some of my best friendships and relationships I had was because somebody was eavesdropping on my conversation. And they came in, oh, you do training? Oh, I was looking to work out. Now these people are my best friends. So I put myself in certain spaces. Like, like, like not now because my day has been consumed more with the day-to-day business of the gym. But prior to before my clientele was building, I, I would go downtown to the Starbucks and just sit in there all day. All day. People be like, yo, where you want to find Shane here in Starbucks? That was my new block. That was my new stoop. And, the beat, and, and, and it was so ironic because my first cousin, remember, I, I, I didn't know my dad's side of the family. And I came home and I found him. My first cousin is the, is, is the vice president of Starbucks. And she brought that Starbucks to Trenton. I'm like, wow. That's crazy. Look at God. But I will say this, right? Because you, you in the social media yet? I, I just got back in. Getting into it? Just got. Bro, it's daunting. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, it's daunting. It's in, it was intimidating because when I went away, man, there wasn't no social media. Right. Know what I mean? And then and don't that's what I was gonna ask you. Like, how how was that transition and, coming and, home with no social media? And then like and now the, it's like the world. And this is what I'm saying in prison. Like they don't. It's, it, there are certain aspects where uh, uh, reentry or re, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, rehabilitation. Where rehabilitation may may be offered or provided from the system or the the the, the, the the correctional system, but for the most part, you got to want it and get it on your own. Like, I don't understand why technology isn't offered in prison. Like, they, yeah, you can't take it back to the unit, but you should be able to have a, clor- a Access. course. Access. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. yes, because technology moves so fast, and when you're in prison, it moves 10 times faster. Now, you had some people in prison had access to cell phones. They were sneaking them in, and they were probably the ones who are coming home now and jump right on it. Where a person like me, I bought a laptop and it was collecting dust for two years. I didn't even buy it. My mom bought it. I gave her a couple of dollars to put up for me and she go buy me a laptop. I'm like, well, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. But now it comes in handy, right? But it took me two years to open it up. And I was off of social media for almost five years, man. I believe like, it. Like man. last week was my first post in five years. I believe it. But you know what? One thing that I definitely took away from what you said is that grind, right? Because I, I, I want you to quickly highlight what your day looks like. But to all those entrepreneurs out there that don't understand, like, this is from the muscle. So you, like, you told your story about starting in a uh, park, going in the park and starting in your backyard and the whole mm-hmm. nine. Yep. But people don't probably even understand that this gym right here we in, you probably be here all day. Or at one point was here all day. And I want you to definitely highlight and speak on that because – like people don't in the in the entrepreneur working for yourself world don't understand, and I think that's why some people aren't successful in it because they don't understand what it takes and well, like well, you got to work. I think that uh, it's just my personal opinion that entrepreneurship not for everybody, right? Know what I mean, like I like like some like it's it's this fad and it's this this thing where you know people want to force entrepreneurship 
on people. It's not for everybody. You can make an impact. You could be ultra successful, whether it's financially, you could be very fulfilling, going to work for somebody. I know people who are multimillionaires and very happy working. And I know people who are in debt and very miserable and they own stuff. They're, they're entrepreneurs. So it could go either way, yeah. right? You have to be a strong-willed individual to be an entrepreneur. I agree, brother. Right? It is long nights, early mornings, yeah. right? And then, then you're going to have more people in the beginning that don't believe in you. You're going to have more people in the beginning that's not going to support you. You got to support you when nobody else want to support you. You got to be your alarm clock when the alarm clock don't want to be the alarm clock, mm-hmm. right? You got to be your secretary, your accountant. You got to be your social media uh, uh, um, person. You, bro, like, I was in this gym. I ain't even, I've been working on this gym for the past three months. Like, I ain't even truly opened it up. Like, I, I put the floors down. Mm-hmm. I put the heavy bags up. Me and one other guy. And I ain't no contractor, but I quickly became one. Because if I don't do it, who going to do it? Some people be like, oh, you got to get sleep. You're right. I definitely need sleep. But if I don't do it, who going to do it? Yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a grind, man. And if you're not built mentally for it, you're not going to last. And I would not recommend it for everybody. Right? I, like I said, man, my previous experience is prepare me for, for this. Like, in jail, I was not worried about no no's. I didn't care. I had already created a mindset when I came out here. I just need one yes. Mm-hmm. My whole thing was I just wanted to work in the gym. And majority of the gyms around here, they was telling me no or spinning me. Now they want me. Yeah. That's how it goes. You know what I'm saying? Like, now they want to partner with me. Or now they want me to, in their facilities. Right? But I, I don't focus on the no's, man. Like I was telling you earlier, man, I am very patient when it comes to allowing my business to manifest. It's two things, my business and a woman that I really like. Bro, I will, I will, I will let it take its course. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I definitely want to uh, tell you I appreciate you allowing me to come to you. You asked me that I think you was flaking on me. <laughs> I did not think you, I, I didn't think that because one thing I know is listening to you when we talk and you just saying what you was, with all the things you had going on, I've been there. I'm still there, right? So like, I have a little bit more time, but at the beginning of anything, I'm glad you see and you already saw it. You got work. So some people do not understand. Like you said, you your own supervisor, you your own secretary, and if somebody don't show up, you got to work. It it don't stop. Yeah. It don't stop. But see, for me, I've always been enamored with the process. I've always been, like, like locked into the process. See, I used to love training. I never actually worked out prior to going to jail. Like, I ain't lift weights or nothing like that. But I worked on my basketball game. See, I love the aspect of working on my game. See, back in those days, it was hard to get the basketball court by yourself because so many people played. So I had to get up early in the morning, like mm-hmm. 6 o'clock in the morning to get mm-hmm. the court to myself. Or I had to stay up late at night, 1, 2 o'clock at night, to get the court to myself, yeah. to work on my game. Yeah. So I've always been, like, enamored with the process. So the process... It's all right, because I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. See, I know my, I know where my bag at. I just got to get up yeah, and go, go get run, it. You got to run and go chase it. Yeah, yeah it ain't yeah. coming to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. But I definitely appreciate you coming out. Me, well, I definitely appreciate you allowing me to come out here and spend some time with you and talk to you, man. Because, again, I, I've never in my life met somebody high, such high energy. I know they. I know when people come work out with you, they have fun, man, because you high energy. Man, you, I, I love you, it, man. You, you seem carefree. And what I mean by carefree is you seem like you have it. Like, 
Like you're here because you need this service. The money going to come. And people don't understand that too. Yep. The money going to come in. You seem like from, from outside looking in, it seemed like you figured that out. And I'm not like trying to preach to you. I'm just saying like, like, and, and to, I don't say that for many people because, you know, some people will take me. I just want the money. I just want right. the money. I just right. want the money. Right. I have given people their money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and just seeing how you run, how you operate, how your spirit is, and how optimistic you are, man, it's powerful and it's expiring. And you said somebody said to you about it being expiring, but you'd be surprised, man, the people that you inspire by your little micro moments of just talking. Man, and that's why the, I'm definitely glad that you allowed me to come. And I appreciate you. you, man. I appreciate you allowing me to tell my story, allowing you me to tell my story to your to your listeners. You guys coming up here, taking time out of your day. I don't take it for granted, bro. Neither I do me, I. Man, two ears. Anytime I get two ears, man, like I'm going to pour into two ears the same way I'm pouring into 2,000 ears, 20,000 ears, man. Yeah. Because, like I said, I was that lion. I was that shark for so long. I was just being me. I, I really didn't care. I wasn't thinking what my impact was on somebody. I just was being me. But when you get prominent figures or people who you look up to and they tell you that, it's probably not right. It, yeah, it, money it, right, there. right. You take a step back and you say, maybe I got something here. So I got to honor that. Yeah. Right. That's why I said, first and foremost, man, at the end of the day, regardless of whatever title somebody put on me, you know what I mean? I'm the spirit of God, man. Sure. I, I really take ownership of that. I really look at it as a discernment, right, man? I mean, as, as, as an anointment, excuse me, as an yeah. anointment. Right now, I mean, like God put certain things in your life, not just for you. Now, I mean, it's more for, for other people. So my pain, my suffering, like I wouldn't change nothing because therefore I wouldn't be able to touch some of the people that I touch yeah. without that story, without yeah. that pain. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's an honor for me to, to, to go through that and be able to make it through that and then share it with people. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I'll tell you this. We're gonna have to do a part two of this one day. We're gonna both till we both wait till we both get a little bit more success because we right, both right. we both rookies at the end of the day. Like we've been going for years, you seven, ten, whatever years, mm -hmm. we still going, but we're gonna come back and we're gonna revisit once we both get a little bit more success, man. Absolutely. But I, I definitely wanna thank you for allowing me to come here though, brother. Man, my pleasure. I seriously man. don't take it for granted, man. My pleasure, man. All right, Shane. Thank I you. Appreciate you, brother. Yep, appreciate you. All right, brother. My pleasure. Thank man. you. Yep.